Why do we have a joy that cannot be taken away? It's because we have this word from God in Zephaniah. Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud re rejoicing. May this joy that comes to us from God lead us to everlasting joy. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the third Sunday in Advent has a shift of emphasis represented by the lighting of the, of the pink candle. Our emphasis up to this point has been one of repentance, anticipation, devotion to word and prayer because Christ has come. He comes to us in word and sacrament, and we know that he is coming again. The prophet Zephaniah's ministry gives us insight into this shift of emphasis. You see, Zephaniah understood the truth that no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. In chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah to say, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. Those are some scathing words. Those are words that drive us to repentance before our perfect God. Our perfect God who is justified in his wrath because each and every one of us have sinned. The scholars believe that the conditions at the time of Zephaniah were, in one word, disgusting. It was during the time when the nation of Judah was still reeling under the very evil reign of their two previous kings, Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years, and Ammon, who reigned for two years. And their reign offended God as they led the nation into idolatry of the grossest kind. They included child sacrifice, witchcraft, and the building of pagan altars inside the temple of God. This was basically an in-your-face rebellion, an outright assault on the holiness of God. The defiance, the pride, the depravity, the mocking of God, the arrogance of the spiritual leaders, the complacent spirituality that led people to say, the Lord will do nothing to us. God's anger was more than justified. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, warned Zephaniah. And put these words in contrast to the words of Jesus in our gospel. Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Could it ever be a people full of sin offended by Jesus? Yes. The Pharisees were offended by Jesus because he threatened their authority, threatened their positions of power. The disciples were offended because he disappointed them with the way he demonstrated his messianic power. There were times when his words were just too hard to swallow. He claimed that he was the bread of life come down from heaven. 
And when he speaks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. At other times, it was his doing that caused offense. Giving sight to the blind man on the Sabbath, when he ate with tax collectors and sinners and associated with prostitutes and Samaritans. Sometimes he gave offense for what he didn't do. Like on Palm Sunday, for example, he didn't conquer Rome with political and military victory, but turned out to be a compassionate and forgiving Messiah, full of mercy to the point of dying on the cross rather than seeking vengeance. And then there's John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ and his cousin, who witnessed the baptism of Jesus when God the Father spoke from the clouds, proclaiming Jesus as the very Son of God. But in prison, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? Have you ever been offended or scandalized by something Jesus said or did or didn't do? We must confess that we all have. How many times have we failed to speak a corrective word to an erring brother or sister in Christ? Or maybe uh, those times when we're too squeamish to defend our Christian beliefs, even when Jesus has told us himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to heaven. Or how about all those times that we put Jesus on the back burner? Or those times when Jesus hasn't met our expectations? When a loved one isn't healed, we may be caught using the words of Mary and Martha, saying, Lord, if only you had been here, if only you had been here, this would not have happened. Or maybe when God's word demands more than we are prepared to give. Zephaniah revealed just how offended God is with our sin. And really, when you think about it, there is a striking similarity between the conditions of Zephaniah's time with ours today. Today, there is an in-your-face rebellion of spiritual apathy and complacency in worship and Bible study attendance, stewardship and living in a relationship as God's children. We, too, have this idea that the Lord won't do anything to us. We can live how we want. He won't do anything to us. There's also the sacrifice of children on the altar of convenience under the disguise of reproductive choice. There's the mocking of God as he is blamed for every natural disaster, even criticized for his lack of involvement in other tragedies, even by people who live their lives as if he doesn't exist. How will God respond as he examines each human heart and sees that we are all deceitfully wicked? God's word tells us of the judgment for our sin. And this just wrath leads us to our knees in repentance of our sinful nature, and our sinful acts of thought, word, and deed. But as the law leads us to repent and turn to God in confession, we're able to hear the words of the gospel. The words of the gospel that lead us today to rejoice. God actually commands us to rejoice. How odd that God says not only we can rejoice, but we must rejoice. Why? Why this command? Zephaniah tells us twice in the text, the Lord your God is with you. 
He is in your midst. And Paul follows God's command, lying on the prison floor, awaiting certain death, saying, in effect, I know what I'm saying. I've thought of everything that can possibly happen, and still I say, rejoice. You see, Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus Christ. Zephaniah understood what most then and today have forgotten. The final ingredient of any recipe for unhappiness is to forget Emmanuel, God with us. No one or no thing can take the presence of God away from us. Emmanuel is with us. He is with us, and so we can live with joy, knowing and trusting that we are always in good company, and we are safe and secure in his arms, no matter what. No matter what troubles, no matter what suffering, sorrows, or hardships we face. The simple truth and promise is still our key to joy today. And that certainly is my prayer for Quaid on his confirmation day. That you would know that as your, as your confirmation verse says, to commit your ways to the Lord, he will establish your plans. That you know that as you commit your ways to the Lord, that he is Emmanuel, God with you. Through the ups and the downs and no matter where you go, he's with you. He's with you and he is for you. And that promise isn't just for Quaid here on his confirmation day. It's for all of us. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with you. He is with you and for you. And so listen again to what Zephaniah learned over 2,600 years ago. He learned the truth that we live under the king's protection. That may not seem impressive to us because we aren't familiar with monarchies, but to the people in Zephaniah's day, it meant everything to them. Because there is the truth that you would only go as far as your king takes you. And the same is true for us with our king, Jesus. We are saved. We rejoice, the prophet tells us, because the hand of our king lays on us is not the fist of an oppressor, but it's the open hand of forgiveness and blessing. And he has taken away our punishment. He has taken away our punishment personally. He has the victor's power to win the battle against any oppressor that may threaten us, even the greatest one, death. We're safe. You know, in ancient days, great walls would be built around the large cities. Whenever an attacker came, and they often did, the people who lived and worked outside would rush behind the fortified walls for protection. All of our enemies, sin, suffering, and Satan, are powerless against the fortified strength and grace of our King. We are told not to fear anything, not to fear any harm or anything that can be thrown our way. Because fear immobilizes. It takes away our strength and our courage to point that our text in Zephaniah says our hands hang limp. But our king quiets our fears with his love, with his grace. Our fears are totally satisfied and completely content and we find absolute rest in Christ. You see, this third Sunday in Advent, our God is embracing us with his word. 
And so take this gift with you today. A picture of God singing over you with joy. The truth of a God who will do whatever it takes to win you and preserve you in his grace. The blessing of a God who rejoices that the lost has been found and that we have repented of our sin and believe in him as our Savior. God is rejoicing over us, repentant sinners. So how much more should our lives be a witness of rejoicing in response to God's good news of salvation? Brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Amen.